Have you ever been at a potluck or someone's house or at a restaurant and been eating something and really enjoying what you're eating and decided to yourself, I want to learn how to make this also. I got to figure out who made this so I can get the recipe. Have you ever done that before? You say, who made this pasta salad? This is so good. I need to know what's in there. And maybe some of you have had the experience that, that we've had where we get a recipe and then we try and make it, but it just doesn't turn out the way. Has, has that happened to you before? My mom has given us some recipes, but it's just something, it's not that she left any ingredient out, but there's some intangibles that are hard. Sarah's a very good cook, uh, and I do all right too, but there, there, sometimes it just doesn't turn out quite the same. Well, we, we want to get the recipe because we want to try and copy success. We want to see what makes something good and see if we can copy it ourselves. And we as a church are wanting to grow, amen? We're wanting to reach more people for Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to turn back to the book of Acts because we want to look and see what was the early church doing that helped them to be so successful. And we're not going to summarize it all in one sermon, but we're going to look at one aspect of it in the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, what made the early Christian church so successful? Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 41. Peter has just preached this sermon on the day of Pentecost, and Acts 2.41 says this, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about how many thousand? 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a powerful altar call. 3,000 people accepting the Lord, and they're added to the Lord that day. Now verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four key ingredients that helped this early church sustain itself and to grow. Four key things. Surely there were more things than just these four, but these were some four mentioned. Right here, after the 3,000 were baptized, four key things. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the doctrine. The things that they heard, they, they applied it, they heard it, they followed it. When we study in our Sabbath school lessons, we say, you know what? I want to put that in my life and use it. If you hear something at church, in the sermon, or at talking with your friend, you apply it in your life. In your own devotional reading, you apply the Word of God to your life. That will help bring growth. And then it says, to the fellowship. We're going to talk a lot about that. That's our, our subject for today. But notice it also included the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread referring here not only to the communion service, but that term also is used just for eating a meal together, which connects to the fellowship. Spending time together. And finally, spending time in prayer. Not a very complicated recipe, right? It's fairly simple, but powerful as we see the effects of what happened in the early Christian church. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, in the NIV it says, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together 
in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here we see this snapshot of what early Christian life was like. And we see, said in different ways, some of these same common elements. They had the teaching, they had the prayer, but then they had those extra things. They had fellowship. And you notice they emphasize that word together. Uh, your Bible may not say together, but the idea is present in the text. They show up at the temple. They're there together. They're praying together. They're doing stuff together. They're going to each other's homes. They're eating together. They're fellowshipping together. That word fellowship is a special word. It's the Greek word koinonia. And I looked it up in kind of what's the Webster's Dictionary of the Greek language. It's called the BDAG. That's an acronym. But basically, koinonia, this word for fellowship or communion or partnership, it means a close association involving mutual interests and sharing. It's translated as association, communion, fellowship, close relationship. Secondly, it's also an attitude of goodwill that manifests an interest in a close relationship. What kind of relationship? Close. Not just a, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Close relationship is a part of this fellowship involving generosity, fellow feeling, and altruism. This koinonia, this fellowship, is not simply a happy Sabbath greeting. That's good. It's not... Hey, how you doing? That's important also. It's something much deeper than that. It's a special connection that the believers had that allowed them to grow as a church. You know, from the very beginning, God designed us for fellowship. He designed our hearts to want to be connected. What did he do for Adam? He didn't create Eve right away so Adam could recognize he needed fellowship. He needed somebody like him that he could be with. And so finally, the Bible says there in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. We need togetherness. We need fellowship. There was a family that went to the movies one day, and uh, the son decided he wanted some popcorn, so he stopped by the concession stand, bought some popcorn while his family went inside and found a seat. By the time he gets his popcorn, he walks in, and it's all dark. Things have gotten started, and he can't see very well, and he's walking up and down the rows, looking, but he can't discern the faces very well. So finally, he just says, does anybody out there recognize me? <laughs> he was longing to find his family. You know, sometimes we come to church. And the lights are on, and it's not dark. And we walk around in church and we wonder does anybody recognize me? I hope that hasn't been your experience here, but if it has, I'm sorry. Uh, we want to do better. Maybe you visited a church, and maybe you, they shake your hand, but then you sit down, and that's, that's your experience, right? Uh, we have to do better here, we have to do better everywhere. God put in our hearts a longing for something 
deeper than just surface relationship. He put in our hearts a longing for fellowship. That's what allowed the early Testament, early Christian church to grow, and that's what will allow us, one of the things will allow us to grow. What about the Apostle Paul? In prison. Remember when we did our series on Timothy? He said, oh, I'm lonely, basically. You could see it in what he was saying. He wanted that fellowship. Send John Mark, for he's useful to me in ministry. Paul needed companionship. You know, you even think about the Godhead. You think about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God has existed in relationship and fellowship for eternity. The nature of God itself, is as confusing as it might be for us mere mortals, the nature of God itself indicates we're designed for fellowship. We're designed for communion. By the way, there's some uh, interesting teachings going around these days. Uh, some people even within our church uh, that have made it their mission and their, their burden not to spread the gospel to the world. But no, the mission is to convince Adventists that they're wrong about the understanding of Jesus. Jesus was not existent forever. He was literally the Son of God at some point in distant eternity. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus, there's an interesting relationship there. And while I don't want to discourage people that are sincerely trying to, to believe what they believe is correct, uh, while I disagree with their theological conclusions, uh, our mission is not to convince Adventists that they have their understanding of something we can't fully understand wrong. Our mission is to spread the gospel to the world. Our mission is to preach Jesus to the world. There are some things we're only going to be able to understand in heaven. Uh, I believe the Bible is clear enough on, on these other things, however. But we've been designed to live in companionship and fellowship. We've been designed for this togetherness. Even Jesus. What did he say in the garden? He said, couldn't you just pray with me for an hour or keep watch with me? In his lowest moment, he was, he was wishing that, that he could have friends to really be there to support him. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Don't neglect coming to church. Don't neglect it because it's so important. This fellowship will help you to grow if it's the true and godly fellowship. And if you don't have it, it's going to be tough to grow. It also says in that passage, as we gather together, we're supposed to encourage one another. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Speaking about fellowship, here's an example of what fellowship doesn't look like. Sometimes you get a better picture of what things are by looking at what they aren't. The Corinthian church, as you know, had a lot of issues. It had some problems there in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Paul, in his conclusion to this church, he writes this, For I am afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be and that you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, 
factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Does that sound like good fellowship to you? No, sounds like a disaster. People are fighting, people are jealous of one another, people are angry at another, there are factions, little, little splinter groups uh, amongst the believers. People are slandering, they're saying uh, untrue things against each other, they're gossiping about one another. Well, that's an easy one. Hey, we gotta pray for so-and-so. You know what so-and-so is doing, right? We gotta really pray for them. That's how we disguise our gossip sometimes. Uh, now, we should pray for one another, right? But you know what I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> Don't need to know everything. Gossip, that's not good for fellowship. Breaks it apart. Arrogance, disorder. Paul was dealing with a church that did not have the building blocks of good fellowship. We can't have that in this church here, friends. As Christians, we can't tolerate it. And if we want to be a growing church, a thriving church, we can't have those things. So you want to know what fellowship looks like? Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Same word, koinonia, is used here in this passage. Fellowship. 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 3 and 4. First John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his what? Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. That fellowship there is the word koinonia. If we're going to have true fellowship, it first has to involve us fellowshipping with God. As we have God a part of the picture, and as God is a part of our, our friendship, our interactions, our social interactions, all these things, that will involve true fellowship. If you're just getting together, and God is not a part of what's going on, it's not true fellowship. Fellowship starts with God, and God spills over into everything that happens. Look at verse 6 and 7 while we're here. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light will necessarily involve fellowship with each other. So at first, fellowship starts with God. That communion with God Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. I remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians with the acronym Go Eat Popcorn. G E P C or G E Power Company. All right, so Go Eat Popcorn. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 3. Paul there in his greeting says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your 
partnership, or in New King James, for example, it says, my fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That's the word koinonia, the word for partnership or fellowship. Paul is saying, I have this fellowship, this partnership with you as believers. And the first thing we saw in verse 3 and 4 is, he said, I'm praying for you. And we saw that in Acts chapter 2. Fellowship involves praying with and for the other believers. God is connected in the beginning, and we're praying for the other person. And it's really hard to have an enemy, a really strong enemy, when you're praying for and with each other. It's hard to be backbiting and slandering and gossiping when you're praying with people. The person you have issues with, you pray for them. That, first of all, softens your heart. And hopefully you get to pray with them. Prayer is essential to fellowship. Verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. True fellowship involves sharing in God's grace together. Uh, it ex- it's this um, Christian experience that involves God's grace. Verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, true fellowship should involve some affection. You should actually like each other. Now, we may not always get along, but we can pray and ask God to help us to like each other. Uh, Such a better environment when we have that affection, that love for one another that only God can give us. Fellowship, as we see, involves praying for each other. Um, It also involves serving God. They're partners in the gospel. Verse 5. Partners in ministry. It involves God's grace. It involves heartfelt affection. I want to go back, though, to 1 John 1 because there's something that we didn't see there. 1 John chapter 1. Now, our Bibles are used to going to that page. Go back there quicker. 1 John 1, verse 3. First John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that, so that you also may have fellowship with us. The purpose of proclaiming is to broaden the circle of fellowship. They're proclaiming the gospel to other people so that they too might be a part of God's family and of God's fellowship. True fellowship involves this desire to always look for ways to expand the circle of fellowship. It's not this exclusive clique, this group, this club that doesn't want to add any more members because, oh, we'll have to get used to new people. No, you're always thinking in your mind, hey, who didn't I invite that I could invite next time? Wait, who... Who maybe doesn't get invited to things? Wait, who don't I know as well that I'd like to get to know better? Who who of my non-church friend, not just people inside the church, but people outside of the church? Who can I invite just to come over for a game night at my house? 
Uh, not to preach the Bible to them or bang them over the head with my Bible. Just, who can I invite to go have some fun with? You're always looking to expand the circle of fellowship. Even within our church, we get so used to, and I'm guilty of this also, uh, we get used to sitting in the same spot every week, right? That's our pew. Can't sit anywhere else. At potluck. Oh, this is our table, our potluck table. What if God calls us to expand and even rethink where we sit so that we can fellowship better with more people? Uh, what if we see that person who needs more friends or doesn't know many people, and so we move and we sit somewhere else as hard as it might be? I remember one time uh, I was at class, and there was the front row crew. They would get there early, always sit there in the front row. This was kind of an intergenerational class that I was in. And the front row people, boy, we decided we're going to sit in the front row today. So, so we, we moved up before they got there, and we sat in the front row. And... That was a little too much for, for certain people. They weren't able to handle that much change that fast. And yeah, for the sake of fellowship, we moved back from the front row so they could have their seats back. Uh, we need to be flexible enough to, to think, hey, how can I expand the circle of fellowship? Could I sit somewhere else today to sit next to somebody that I don't know very well? Could I move my potluck chair to sit with somebody I haven't chatted with yet. Could I invite somebody? You know, there's no potluck today. Uh, AC unit broke down, unfortunately. It'll be fixed for next week. No potluck today. Who could I invite over for an impromptu lunch? There's just something about Christian fellowship. You know, I have friends that don't, don't believe in God. I have friends that are atheists. Uh, and there's only so deep our friendship can go. My childhood best friend, he used to be Christian, now he's atheist, he laughs at Christians, and he's angry at the God he doesn't believe in. But, I don't know. At least that's the way it seems. Um, so, so we're great friends, and I just got to see him recently. But boy, there's only so far our friendship can go. Man, as a Christian, we are so blessed. When you have a really good Christian friend, there's a connection you're able to have that you can't have on a secular level. Amen. Have you experienced that before? Amen. Because you know, we share a common foundation. We share a common Savior. We share a common gratitude to God for forgiveness of sin. We share a common hope and desire to be with Jesus in heaven forever. We share this common worldview that God is in control even though things are falling apart. And it's going to be all right if we just cling on to him. And when you have that Christian fellowship, boy, it's so much better than just this outlook that my friends have. He actually believes everything uh, is totally determined. So since there's no God, he believes in no free will whatsoever. Uh, I was at his wedding. And it was crazy because he doesn't believe it's possible for humans to make their own free choices. Uh, we're just the product of, of molecules and interactions with atoms. And, and 
So he really loves his wife because he has no other choice but to love his wife. But as I was at his wedding, that's not, they were acting as though he didn't believe that because it looked like they really were touched by how special the moment was. Uh, but if I were to talk to him about it later, he'd say, oh yeah, of course, we had no other choice but to get together. Uh, the course of our lives will be whatever the universe has decided through cause and effect that it will be. Man, Christian fellowship is so much better than that. You can travel around the world as a Christian and find instant family members, especially as Adventists. Have you been to other countries before? It's so wonderful. I mean, especially in the Adventist church, you go anywhere on the country to an Adventist church and the service flows, you know, they start about 9.30, some later, some earlier, and they get out about the same time, and there's often a potluck, and it's often the food that, you know, you can kind of expect to enjoy. You go around the world. We all have the same Sabbath school quarterlies. Hey, what'd you think of the lesson this last week? Maybe it's in a different language, but it's the same topic, right? We have so much in common. It's so awesome to travel as an Adventist Christian to meet. You know, they say that you can go anywhere in the world and you can find two things, McDonald's and Seventh-day Adventists. It's amazing. You add up the number of buildings that are Adventist around the world, and I think it was something like about the same number of McDonald buildings as there are, with all the schools and, and hospitals we have, all these different buildings. It's amazing. But we have a lot of work to do. We have so much work to do. But God says, if you want to grow, fellowship. Back in Acts chapter 2, what were those things? The things that helped the early Christian church to grow and thrive and prosper, Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Can't grow without growing in God's word. And to the fellowship, definite article is used here, specific fellowship, deeper than just a surface relationship. It goes much deeper. To the breaking of bread, fellowshipping while eating together, while worshiping together. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. Praying for each other and praying together. We have great fellowship on Wednesday nights. We'd love for you to come join us at our prayer meeting. There was a man named Mohammed. Mohammed lives in Africa, in one of the northern African countries, uh, almost totally Muslim there. And a while ago, he was listening to Christian radio in his country, and he heard a special offer to have some parts of the Bible sent to him. And he, he filled out the form, uh, however it was, sent away for it. And a while later, he received the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. And he started reading these things, and over time, he became a Christian. But of course, he had to be very guarded about his Christian beliefs and the way he viewed the world now. Uh, but there were no Christian churches whatsoever, anywhere uh, near him or perhaps anywhere in his country that he could find or travel to. And so he prayed for four years. God, send me somebody that I can fellowship with. Send me a Christian believer I can talk to. He's the only Christian he knows. Praying that prayer for four years. And finally one day he received a letter from some guy in, um, 
England who was going to be traveling into that part of the world. He had apparently been involved with this radio and, and the, the stuff that had been sent out to this man and said, I'm going to be near your area. I want to stop by and see you. And so he did. And, and it would have been great if he could have stayed there and moved there. But they just spent some time together for a period of hours or so. And for Muhammad, that was the sweetest fellowship, the sweetest friendship, companionship that he had ever had. It was like the highlight of his life up to that point. Here's this believer, doesn't have anybody to fellowship with. And he just enjoyed so much those few hours with somebody else who shares the same love for God, shares the same hope uh, for heaven and all of these things. And I think about us here. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. We're so blessed that we, we often neglect the thing that is such a blessing to people like Muhammad. Friends, if we want to grow as a church, if we want to invite more people into our fellowship, we need to be more intentional about how we fellowship. Not just saying hi, that's important. Not just greeting people, which we need to do, but taking it much deeper than that. So what are some ideas? Well, we can start by learning names of people in our church. We're working on that uh, addition to our church directory uh, for those that weren't able to take pictures earlier on, but there's a simple trick to learning names. It starts by saying, hi, I'm John. What's your name? You can say, hey, I realize that I've gone to this church, and this is embarrassing, for five years with you, but I, I'm trying to learn everybody's name. I'm trying to learn your name. What's your name? And then you write it down. You tell yourself this is important when they say it, because otherwise they'll just forget it. It's hard to fellowship if you don't know someone's name. Learn names. Sit with people you don't normally sit with here in church, here at Potluck. Invite somebody over to your house for lunch, for uh, some sort of activity. Go for a walk. Maybe not this afternoon. Uh, plan an event. Do something simple. Have some board games at your house. Have a Bible study. Go out to eat. Do stuff together with people in this church, with people in this community. Spend time praying together. Simple, simple things. You, you can come up with your own list. Call somebody who's sick. Call somebody who doesn't normally attend. Just check in with them. Visit somebody who's sick and shut in. If we want to grow, we need to expand our circle of fellowship. We're here today because the apostles and the early Christian church stepped out of their comfort zones and expanded their circle of fellowship. So today we're a part of the fellowship. So let's make it even bigger. Let's pray. Dear God, we are blessed to know you. We're blessed to know each other. I pray that we can challenge ourselves with the power of your Spirit to go beyond where we are normally at and to really grow in love and fellowship with one another. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you so much for the many privileges we have. May we use them to grow this church, to grow your kingdom. For Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Have a happy Sabbath. We'll see you next week for International Sabbath.